أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله الأمين محمد بن عبد الله وآله وصحبه وسلم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقال ربكم ادعوني أستجب لكم إني قريب أجيب دعوة الداعي إذا دعان فليستجيبوا لي وليؤمنوا بي لعلهم يرشدون يا الله يا رحمن يا رحيم يا أرحم الراحمين يا أكرم الأكرمين يا خير الرازقين يا رب العالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا ظالمين ربنا ادخلنا في اجتماعنا هذا مدخل صدغ واخرجنا منه مخرج صدغ واجعلنا فيه من لدنك سلطانا نصيرا ربنا اجعل أوله صلاحا وسطه فلاحا آخره نجاحا نزلك اللهم فيه خير الدنيا ونعم الآخرة تب علينا فيه توبة النصوح أصلح اللهم فيه من الجسد والقلب والروح أصلح اللهم فيه من الجسد والقلب والروح أصلح اللهم فيه من الجسد والقلب والروح طهر اللهم ألسنتنا من الكذب وقلوبنا من النفاق وأعمالنا من الرياء وأبصارنا من الخيانة فإنك تعلم خائنة لعن وتخف الصدور ربنا اجعل جمعنا هذا جمع مباركا مرحوما واجعل اللهم تفرقنا من بعده تفرقا معصوما ولا تعلم فينا ولا معنا ولا منا شقيا ولا محروما وصل اللهم على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتحة بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين نعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي رب أوزعينا نشكر نعمتك التي أنعمت علي وعلى والدي ونعمل صالحا ترضاه وأصلح لي في ذريتي إني تبت إليك وإني من المسلمين الحمد لله Praise be to Allah for allowing us to come together to reflect upon the life story of the greatest Ahmad السلام عليكم the greatest man to walk on this earth uh, Sayyidina Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم and we discussed in the first session Two weeks ago, Muhammad the, the light or Muhammad al-Nur, okay, the spiritual prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And what we did last week is to discuss the time before Muhammad sallallahu and what was happening in that time. Today, inshallah, I want to talk about the importance of the family tree of Muhammad sallallahu from his father to Adnan to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Although يعني, we agree up to Adnan, a lot of the scholars seem to differ in taking it further to Ismail, to Ibrahim, but they know it is to Ismail and to Ibrahim. And all those who are familiar with the Mawlids that we read, whether it is Baradanji or Dayba or any Mawlid, they all speak about this clearly and they state it in their Mawlid. What I did is, I am... <coughs> I like family trees, and I have a lot of them, and I have the Prophet family tree, okay, and the Prophet's family trees, other Prophets, and I try to link it, okay, and I just did this, mashallah, Allah bless Amina, she helped me to do it, I wrote it, and I said, I do it like that, and she did it, every one of you will get one like that, yeah, because I believe we need to know exactly to whom Muhammad Sallam is Okay, belonging or to whom he is related. Okay, and we look at it from his father and his mother, and his father and mother join. Okay, in the lineage going down 
to Adnan and Ismail alayhi salam. Why we are mentioning this? Because we need to make sure that Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam has come from a pure line. A line that was through marriage, through the permission of the prophets of the time and for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake. And because he is pure, Ali Abdullah salatu wasalam. Allah says in the Quran, at the end of Surah At-Tawbah, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم لقد جاءكم رسول من أنفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف الرحيم. He has come to you a messenger for amongst yourself. But this is when you say من أنفسكم نفس أنفسكم yourselves. But there are some people who recite من أنفسكم. He has come to you, a messenger, from the noblest of you. I like this one. Because, as I said in my first session about the spiritual creation of Muhammad Sallam, okay, he comes from the line of the most precious human beings. All his fathers are chosen. And all of them are being spoken about highly by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stated even further to emphasize this fact. He said, Ana Sayyidu Walada Adam wala fakhr. Some people, they hear sometimes people talking and saying, when you read at tahiyatu lillahi, okay, and you come to the salawat after that, you should just say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad, you should not add Sayyid to it. Because we say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidna Muhammad. And they deny him that title. But he says in this hadith, which is sahih, everybody knows, Ana Sayyid Walada Adam Wala I am okay, the master, okay, or the leading human being above all the children of Adam, and I'm not saying it out of pride. This is my status. Allah gave it to me. I'm not proud. If a prince or a king or a queen walks in and says, I'm a king, he's not saying it to show pride. He, this is his title. Just like all who have title. I'm a teacher. Okay? I am a doctor. That's your title. So, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu is higher than any person you can think of. When we come to Imam Al-Barazanji, those who are familiar with the Mawlid that we recite, and people don't understand, well, why do you meet to read the Mawlid? This is a bid'ah. The Mawlid is the Bid'ah. What does the Mawlid mean? The Mawlid means reciting the story of the birth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Isn't it funny? Somebody comes to you and says to you, you are gathering for a Mawlid without realizing what a Mawlid is, saying to you, it is a Bid'ah. Since when getting to know Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a Bid'ah? It's compulsory. It is fard. His knowledge, knowing who he is, his background, knowing his message, following his message, loving him is compulsory. From the Quran and the Sunnah. There is nobody can deny that. And therefore, when the brothers are meeting, we need to make sure that we tell them that we meet to recite the seerah of Muhammad Sallam. Can you imagine when people meet every Thursday evening, every Sunday evening, their 
most important thing is to recite the sirah. This little maulid al-barazanji or al-dayba, okay? Or the other mawalid, there are many of them written. We have a maulid written in my school where I come from called maulid al-samman. Okay, the Ja'afira in Egypt, al-Mawlid al-Ja'fari. And it is just a recitation of the seerah. And many of the scholars had written mawalid. The most famous of all those mawalid or seer or stories is the story written by Imam al-Barzanji. He's lucky. Just like Imam al-Juzuli, his salawat are spread all over the place. The same thing, al-Mawlid al-Barzanji, everybody knows about it. Everybody reads it. In Africa, children... After memorizing the Quran, they memorize Al-Barazanji. Why? Because it is telling you the story of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, Al-Barazanji, okay, وَأُصَلِّي وَأُسَلِّمْ عَلَى النُورَ الْمَوْصُوفِ بِالتَّقَدُّمْ وَالْأَوْلَوِيَّةِ When he began his mawlid, and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make salawat, and I will give or convey my salam to the light that is being described as created first. Al-Muntaqil fi al-Qura al-Karima wal-Jibah. That which was brought down to his mother to bring him to life through the most pure lineage. The most righteous people carry Sayyidina Muhammad I want you never to think otherwise because there are some people who are today ignorantly Neglecting the past and the scholars who were full of knowledge. Imagine the companions of the Prophet. Imagine their students. Imagine the Imams, whom some people laugh at them today. I hear some people saying, Well, those Aimma is like us. Imam Malik was just a man, I am just a mustaqfurlazim. Like a student who is in university saying, Well, uh, me and my professor are the same. You're not the same. You're not the same. He is higher than you. That's why you came to acquire knowledge from him. And the Arabs say, قُمْ لِلْمُعَلِّمْ وَفِّهِ التَّبْجِيلَ كَدَ الْمُعَلِّمَ أَنْ يَكُونَ رَسُولَ Stand for the teacher and show him the respect due for he in his position almost like a messenger. That means the messenger have a high position because he's delivering a message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that for that he need to be respected. Every one of us should think seriously okay, about that statement people say, don't equate yourself. None of those people who lived in the past debated whether the lineage of Muhammad Sallam, the people in it were righteous, not righteous, believers, not believers. Some people say, oh, Muhammad, mother and father, they will not enter paradise. I want to ask, have you ever read in the stories of the prophets? Okay, they discuss this about their parents. Have you ever read the companion discussing this? about the Prophet family? This is sad. Why are we discussing it today? What for? Why are you asking the question? We are not here to judge. We are not here to make any decision. The decision ultimately belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is he, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ibn Abdullah, son of Abdullah. Ibn Abdul Muttalib, son of Abdul Muttalib. Ibn Hashim, son of Hashim, Ibn Abd Munaf, son of Abd Munaf, Ibn Qusay. Here, okay, we can link the Prophet mother to Abdullah because her name is Amina bint Wahb, bint Abd Munaf, 
binti Zuhra. Alaykum salam Mustafa, mashallah, mabrook. Binti Zuhra, alaykum salam, binti Zuhra. Ok? Zuhra, ibni Hakim, an Qusay. Zuhra, ibni Kilab, an Qusay, ibni Kilab. So Kilab is the grandfather of Muhammad sallam from his mother and his father. And from there, until Adnan, it is just one line. And I'm going to read it for you. And if my brother can give those out, everybody can take one. Okay? And you can look at it. And we're going to go through it and show how this lineage developed of the Prophet wasallam. Okay? So it is he, Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim ibn Abdul Munaf ibn Qusay. And Amina binti Wahab ibn Abdul Munaf ibn Zuhra and both of them at the end come to Kilab. When everybody got inshallah Ashid, we can look at it together. It's written in English, so people can look at it. Pass one here in the front, please. Pass one in the front. That's it, one there. And if there are copies left, we can keep them. If somebody else comes, we can give them, inshallah. And you can photocopy it, give it to people because they need to know their prophet. Whoever you meet must know who Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is, inshallah. If there are extras, please give those who are coming late one as well. Yeah, leave, let them with the ladies if anybody come late. If the ladies have extras, keep them with you, inshallah. And let us look at it. Alright? Now, look at the lineage. Muhammad on top, on the right, Abdullah, his father. Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather. Hashim, his great grandfather. Abdul Munaf, great great grandfather. Qusay. And then Amina bint Wahab. Her father is Wahab. On to the left, this is Ibn Abdul Munaf, Ibn Zuhra. And then both of them come to Kilab. And from Kilab it goes down to Murrah, Ibn Ka'ab, Ibn Lu'ay, Ibn Ghalib, Ibn Fihr, Ibn Malik, Ibn Nadr, with Dad in Arabic, Ibn Kinana. Ibn Khuzayma, Ibn Mudrika, Ibn Ilyas, Ibn Mudar, Ibn Nadar, Ibn Ma'd, Ibn Adnan. Here, where all the scholars agreed, from the Prophet to Adnan, it is agreed upon. The differences come after that. But this is the most authentic. Ibn Aw, Ibn Aud, Ibn Al-Yash'a, Ibn Al-Haysa'a, Ibn Salaman, Ibn Thabit, Ibn Haml, Ibn Qadar, or Qaydar, Ibn Ismail, Ibn Ibrahim, alayhi salam. This is the chain, okay, of the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, okay, to Ibrahim, alayhi salam, from his mother and his father. This is the pure. We shouldn't question anything. And the idea of knowing this, because Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his ancestors, none of them was born out 
of marriage. They are all born in marriage. This is a sign for us that marriage is a constitution established by Allah so that purity of the blood of the people who are born within marriage is more greater in the sight of God. Nobody should say it's not important. It is very, very important. We must think of it in that sense. Now, what then the poet said about it? Okay? حفظ الإله كرامة لمحمد آباءه الأمجاد صونا لاسمه تركوا السفاح فلم يصبه معاروه من آدم وإلى أبوه وأمه حفظ الإله كرامة لمحمد الله سبحانه وتعالى honoring for Muhammad he has made his lineage pure and all his fathers before him were married none of his fathers was born without marriage none of them Many of us cannot say this about ourselves. But for the Prophet that is the truth. He, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was born from a lineage that was connected to Adam, alayhi salam, and all his parents before him were born through marriage. And were chosen. And that's the idea that we should think about. They had never committed adultery. And they were never shamed by any of their ancestors being born out of wedlock. From Adam to his father and mother. Nobody can point to Muhammad and say to him, that grandfather, this and that. Can you imagine, they are saying this about the lineage of his grandfathers. And today, his own mother and father, we Muslims, debate whether they are right or wrong, going to heaven or going to hell. What kind of people are we? What kind of people are we? We should never discuss this. We should never talk about it. And if you find people talking about it, just refrain. Walk away. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not accept that from us. This is a line Allah has chosen. Now, he comes from a tribe called Quraysh. Muhammad sallam came from a tribe called Quraysh. I wanted to look at that sheet again. A lot of those names mentioned, okay, has other names. And while I'm talking about this lineage, I'm going to mention them so you get to know them. So let us go, okay, from the top. When we look at Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of Prophet okay, his name is Shayba. His original name is Shayba. And he is described as Shaymatul Hamd. Shaybatul Hamd. Why was he, was he called Shayba? He was called Shayba because he, when he was born, he had got white hair. <coughs> Shayb meaning white hair. Okay? Arajul al Ajuz, the old man in Arabic, we call him a Shayb. Okay, a shaib, that means the one with white hair. Shaib, okay? So, Shaiba was named Shaiba as a child, he was born with white hair. Many people, you see them young, and they have got an area in their head which have got white hair in it. This is not, nothing wrong with that. And then when you go to Hashim, okay? Hashim, his original name is Amru. I want you to listen to it because when I tell you the story, I want you to remember this. Hashim. His name is Amru. His father, when he gave birth to him, Abdi Munaf called him Amru. Okay? And Abdi Munaf himself, the father of Hashim, is called Al-Mughira. His name, Al-Mughira. When he read the Mawlid, mashallah, in the Mawlid, they say it in poetry, they say it in just general text, beautifully recited. Huh? His name, Al-Mughira. <laughs> and then, Usay, 
وصيح هذا النظر انه يكون مجمع مجمع اوكي سو ذيس ثينجز يو ماست ثينك اباوت ات اوكي ناو ذن اف يو لوك داون وير داز قريش كم ذير از نو نيم كول قريش اند باي ذا واي ترايبز نيم كم فروم ذا نيمز اوف ذا انسسترز فور اكزامبل ماي ترايب ان السودان وير اي كم فروم از كول بن جعل او جعليين او جعليون اوكي جعل وضع اجرامسون اوكي اوف ون اوف اور انسسترز بت هي ميد ذا نيم فور هيم سيلف اند ذا ترايب از نيمد افتر هيم اند ذير ار ماني ترايبس الله سيد ان ذا قران اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا ايها الناس انا خلقناكم من ذكر وانثى وجعلناكم شعوبا وقبائل او يو مان كايند وي كرييتد يو فروم ا سينجل ميل ادم عليه السلام ان ا سينجل فيميل حواء عليه السلام ايف And we made you into nations and tribes. Today, as well, we hear people say, "We are just Muslims." That is so strange. I ask somebody, "Where do you come from?" I'm a Muslim. I know you are a Muslim, but where do you come from, my brother? You must come from a land. You don't just travel without a passport and say, "Look, I am a human." Uh, land in America and Chicago, Washington. Say I'm a human. <laughs> you are an alien to them, not a human. You must show where you come from, and this is just for identity. Inna khalaqnakum shu'uban wa qabail litaarafu. Allah gave us these differences in colors, in languages, okay, in cultures, so that we can get to know one. Imagine if we are all the same. Have you ever seen people from one family? If there are many brothers and sisters in one house. They don't go out and just become brothers and friends and that's it. You have to go out and find friends, find partners to get married to, find people to do business with, to work with, to study with. Life become more interested or interesting. So you need to think seriously about that. So Quraysh, his original name is Fihr. If you look down in the line after Kilab, okay, you come down and then you come to Lu'ay, Ghalib, and Fihr. Fihr is called Quraysh. And all the families okay, that come from this tribe are huge in Saudi Arabia today. You find them. وَإِلَيْهِ تُنْسَبُ الْبُطُونَ الْقُرَشِيَةِ Al-Barazanji says, all the houses of Quraysh come from this man. Fihr. Okay? And he is called Quraysh. So when you hear Quraysh, somebody might look at it I don't know where Quraysh come from. So you get to know that, inshallah. And then, if you go down, after Mudrika, you come to Ilyas. <coughs> Ilyas is very important in the chain because he is the first person to begin the service of the Kaaba like today, whereby he will sacrifice animals and feed the Hujjaj. He was the first one to do that job. And this is the job started earlier on with Sayyidina Ibrahim and son Ismail, but through time it was neglected, but he began that job properly and he became somebody important. So that is the lineage and I'm going to speak about now how this comes through to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi sallam to find the foundation of the Kaaba, he commanded them to raise the foundation and to build the Kaaba. 
After they finished, they prayed and asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring, to bring from the midst of the people who will live in that land from their descendants, one who will teach them the book, the wisdom, and he will recite for them the verses okay, of the scripture, which is, we know the Quran, and to cleanse them from their sins. Rabbana fihim rasulam minhum. We talked about this last week. Oh, our Lord, and then from the midst of them, a messenger who will cleanse them, okay, and teach them knowledge and wisdom. Then Allah commanded them. Who did He command? Ibrahim alayhi salam and his son Ismail. And He said, "A'udhu billahi min al-shaytan al-rajim wa antahira baytiya lil-ta'ifina wal-akifina ruka al-sujud." O Ibrahim, O Ismail, you must purify my house. For those who will come to do tawaf around the Kaaba, for those who will come to establish, okay, the remembrance of Allah, either standing, sitting, reclining, as they like, those who are coming to do dhikr, for those who will come and perform salah. This telling us when you go to the Kaaba, there should be nothing done, either dhikr or tawaf or salah. If you want to do anything else, you leave. In fact, this is not just only in the Kaaba, in every masjid. And please let me remind you, two things that we neglect as Muslims, and it distances us from Muhammad Sallam. The first, we do not show respect to the mosque. The second, we do not show respect to the Quran. And both, Allah gave instruction in the Quran about them. When he talked about the Quran, Allah says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فَإِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنُ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَانْصِتُوا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ And if the Qur'an is recited, do listen to it. If the Qur'an is recited, do listen to it. And be silent. Why? لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ Perhaps you will be shown mercy. That means when the Qur'an is recited, definitely there is mercy coming. So listen to it. But if you don't want to listen, be silent. But unfortunately, we don't do that. In fact, to the contrary, people sometimes are sitting, somebody puts the Qur'an on, please brother, we want to talk, put it down. Because talking while the Qur'an is going on is haram. So that means we prefer chit-chatting and gossiping. Hypocrisy. Don't say that. Move, go away. Listen to the Qur'an, it's better for you. And Allah said in the Qur'an, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن المساجد لله فلا تدعو مع الله أحدا Indeed, the mosque belongs to Allah. Do not invoke anyone beside Allah within the mosque. Don't. This is an advice. I'm giving it to you. Enter the mosque to do three things. To read Quran, to make dhikr, or to pray, or leave. That's it. Don't sit in the mosque, chit-chat, gossip. So Ibrahim السلام, and his son Ismail have been instructed to purify the house so that people can come and carry out these duties. Okay? Now, Quraysh or Fihr, subhanallah, began the tradition of looking after the Kaaba properly and the leader, which we call Zaim, will always be given the position of looking after the Kaaba, the key for the Kaaba, the feeding of the hujjaj, the watering of the hujjaj, and generally the feeding 
and the watering of all the poor people. Can you imagine today this happening? The leader of the group will feed every poor man and woman from his pocket. They come to his home every day, they will have all their meals. Plus, all those who come traveling to do their hajj or visit the house will be fed and watered. Today it's happening. Many people say, well, we went to the haram, mashallah, they were giving us drink, they were giving us food, they were serving us. Yes, it has to. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially for Quraysh. And I will tell you at the end of this session how Allah honored that. So, Za'im al-Qabila, or the leader of the tribe, must feed the poor and water them, must feed the hujjaj, must water the hujjaj, plus he must give the flag of the battle to the leader of the army when he is going out. It shows his leadership and commitment for the defense of his community. He must give. If he doesn't give this flag, which we call raya, to the person who's leading, it will not take place. Later on, they added on a nadwa, a place where people can gather, like parliament. You talk about election, freedom, okay, having debates, discussion, all these things are not new. From the olden days, it used to take place. And I can explain, and especially after Sayyidina Muhammad all those things took place properly. These gifts that were given to the leaders okay, of Quraysh gave them status, gave them an honor in the community, and gave them a position. Subhanallah, if today you go to Mecca, the most two important people you want to meet, not the Imam of the Kaaba, like some people think, and the Russian look good. He's an honorable man. Not the people who are teaching in the Kaaba. The one who holds the key of the Kaaba and the one who is in charge of the Zamzam well. They call him a Zamzami. Okay? And Ibn Abi Shayba who look after the key of the Kaaba. They're very important people because nobody can enter the Kaaba without that descendant of this family coming and opening it until today. What an honor. I am the guardian of the key of the house of God on the earth. Imagine, say, what is your job? I'm the guardian of the key of the Kaaba. This is an honor. Or I'm the guardian of the well of Zamzam. <coughs> Alhamdulillah, I met, I met them, I saw them. And when you go there, you don't see them sitting in the Haram, but you have to ask. And you can go to their house. And subhanAllah, all of them, those people who are responsible for this thing, they do the thing that people think they are bid'at, like they read Mawlid in their house. <laughs> And you go to their houses, they're reading nasheed, they're doing dhikr. And I go there and say, subhanallah, what a well. Outside it is bid'ah in their homes. And these are the ones whom Allah has chosen. I decided for myself, this is my way. I'm not going to change my way. Because these people are chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do the right thing. <coughs> Through time, things were changed in Mecca. Zamzam was buried under the dust and the sand, okay? People started worshipping idols. And there is a man who established this worship in a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His name is Amru ibn Luhay. Amru ibn Luhay. This is from the Prophet sallam. 
you can find this hadith in Fath al-Bari. Qala Rasulullah sallam, ra'aytu Umar ibn Luhay yajurru qusabahu finnar. Ra'aytu Umar ibn Luhay yajurru qusabahu finnar. He said, I saw Umar ibn Luhay pulling his stomach in the fire. Pulling his stomach. Imagine his stomach is open and whatever is inside, he's pulling in the fire. Who is he? And why is he doing that? Ya Rasulullah. Ay am'a'ahu allati fi batnihi la'annahu awwal man qayyara fi deen Ismail. Because he is the first one, jazakumullah khair, to change in the religion of Ismail. فنصب الأوثان he erected the idols أي الأصنام وسيب السائبة أي حرم ما حل الله سبحانه وتعالى and he made every حرام حلال for the people who is this عمر بن لحي in that time he began bringing these things to the people and establishing these things and making them to be important Standing, talking, and the people took his words and followed his example. Okay? Abdi Munaf. Okay? If you remember Abdi Munaf. Anybody remember who is Abdi Munaf? In the chair? Who is Abdi Munaf? Huh? The father of Hashim. What's his name? His name is Al Muqira. Abdi Munaf is called Al Muqira. Abdi Munaf was a handsome man. A person whom everybody used to look at feels there is something. And by the way, every grandfather of Rasulullah, when people used to look at them, they see in their face there is a light. Every one of them. But this one was supposed to be the most beautiful man. In fact, because of his handsomeness, he was called Al-Qamar. The only man I saw in my lifetime who looked like that is the father of Sayyid Muhammad Alawi al-Maliki, Makkah called Al-Alawi al-Maliki. He used to be called Qamar al-Haram. Because when you walk into the Haram and you see him, he's like a moon. He's not like other men. All men look nice, wonderful. But he looked different. Okay? And I always think of him as this man, Abdi Munaf, because of that light in his face, which is beautiful. In his time, people started feeling bad when they have daughters. They don't want daughters. They want sons. Why? Because daughters bring shame. People began to hide the daughters when they are born and later on began to kill them. How? By burying them alive. Allah said in the Quran, When the woman or the girl who was buried alive, for what sin was she killed? What sin did she commit? Nothing. And this is something that we need to think about. And it's happening today. In fact, a lot of people in the world today, they do not want girls. Either because they bring shame, or because they need to pay a lot of money to get them married, or because they're not going to bring them income. A boy is better. So they go to the doctor. Could you please scan and see? Is it female or male? If it is female, abort it. Astaghfirullah al-Azim. This is jahiliya. It's haram, it's forbidden. We should never do that. Okay? One day Abdul Munaf was sitting and he was praying, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, I am asking you, give me a son. I just want a son. 
And because he was generous, he was kind as the leader of Quraysh at that time, and he was doing all the things that people want from him, Allah did not just give him a son, gave him a twin. And the twin he had is Amru. Okay, remember who Amru is? Hashim. Okay, wa Abdul Shams. Another uncle, Abdul Shams. Now, subhanAllah, the Arabs had this strange thing. They used to have superstition. If you have a son, you are a good man. You are a strong man. You are a leader. If you have a daughter, you are no good. So they don't like that. If you have twins, it's also no good. They used to think twins bring troubles. So they started talking in the community. Now Abdul Munaf have twins, Amru and Abdul Shams. Definitely there is going to be trouble in the family. Okay? It's going to be troubles. And they were talking about it for a long time. Now, one of his sons, other than those two, is called Abdul Dar. And in fact, he's an older son he used to have. But through his name and his status, Abdul Dar was not really the son of Abdul Munaf. He was very deprived. He was not talked about. He was put aside. His father felt sad. Everybody else was given a position in the society, was spoken about. Women wanted to marry them. But this one was not. So the father, because he was an honorable man, he brought him, Abdul Dar, this is Abdul Munaf, bring Abdul Dar, and to honor him, he gave him the leadership, the Khilafah, to take over. Sometimes people say, why in the Sufi traditions, sometimes the Mashaykh give their sons the, the reign? Sometimes it has to be done. If there is nobody else fitting for the position, somebody has to be chosen. Do you understand? And if the directive comes from above, you must take it. By the way, today, in universities, when you are given your degree, correct me if I'm wrong, my knowledge is like this, to be given a degree is not just because you pass the exam. Am I right or wrong? There is a council that meets to discuss your case. And if they agree, you deserve to have that degree, then they authorize. Am I right or wrong? They authorize. I don't know how you do it in this country, but that's the way it should be done, authorization. But they sit as a council to debate and discuss, does this person fit the criteria to be granted that qualifications or not? Spiritually, when somebody is being granted a position from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is a spiritual council that meets, but we don't know about them. And they choose. So people who have got religious positions, okay? They were not just given those positions like that. They were granted from above. So all those people were chosen and were guided to that position by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, he gave for the first time, Abdaddar, the position of having the key of the Kaaba and he gave it a name, Al-Hijaba. Okay, Al-Hajib, okay, the one who guard, the guardian, the guardian of the Kaaba. Walliwa, he gave him the flag for the battles. So whenever there is a defense of the city, of the town where they were living, of the people, he will give that flag. Warrifada was siqaya and the feeding and the watering of the hujjaj. When Qusay, the father of Abdul Munaf, died, 
then fitna started between whom okay between Amru and Abdul Shamsa brothers okay and Abdul Dar now it is it is terrible position to be in here you have Abdul Dar okay finding himself in a position whereby he is leading his community beside okay his brother Abdul Munaf and then suddenly his brother's children both of them are having this difficulty of accepting him because he was not really the leader as they wanted him to be so once the father dies the fitna became big and they wanted to fight on the position who will take today you have the same thing in the religious houses when suddenly the sheikh or the grand sheikh passes away you find there is trouble who should be granted the position to run okay the household the school of knowledge who will be the leader this happens okay until today and it will always happen what need to happen these people to understand sometimes it happened because of jealousy sometimes it happened because some of them think they know better they want to correct that which is not but always the guided people within those families know how to do so when the fitna arrived and people were would like them to fight straight away okay they sat down and came to an agreement feeding the hujjaj having the flag and having the house of gathering for the leaders will go to the children of abdul dar okay abdul dar and his family will have that okay this is the brother of abdul munaf then feeding the hujjaj and giving the water to the hujjaj this will be given to abdul munaf children which is amru and abdul shams As I said, Amru is Hashim. Wa alaikum salam, my brother. How are you? As I said, Amru is Hashim. So Hashim, okay, son of Abdul Munaf, began to organize. He took that role seriously. Began to organize something new that never happened before. If it happened, it happened, but not in an organized way. The journey to the north to go to Sham, and the journey to the south to go to Yemen. And sometimes excursion that go to Habasha or Abyssinia. <laughs> but in order for him to have a secure route, and there is no people who will come and interrupt and steal or kill or hijack or take people away, he went, okay, himself to the leaders in the north and explained to them his position and asked of them to support him and help him. In securing the path, okay. Whom did he ask? He asked the Roman leader who was in Sham at that time. That is the Byzantine leader, and he asked him through his brother Abdul Shams. He asked Abdul Shams, alaykum salam. He asked Abdul Shams to speak, okay, and to do something. For him, so that can be done. He went, met the leader, told him that I want the path 
from your land until we reach Yemen. And if we are traveling through to Abyssinia, we'll be secure through your armies because they used to travel a lot and they have the ways of looking after them. He agreed. Somebody else from him traveled and went to Abyssinia and told the Abyssinians, could, could you please help us? If any of our people come to you, that you will defend them, look after them, and you will never do anything to damage, okay? They stay with you or to create any problems. Because of that agreement which Amru made, for the first time, Mecca began to feel like an important city. Before that, it was, but not like this time. Why did it becoming important? Because it became an important commercial city. All the people who are traveling in caravans because of the security that's given will pass through Mecca and deal their business there and travel to wherever they were going. If they're going to the north, they will carry on. If they're going to the south, they will carry on. Mecca became important to everybody. Everybody got to know about it. And that is only because of the peace that was secured between the two okay, families. Now, when suddenly the amount of food in Mecca was reduced because of a famine and people were not finding enough food to eat to show the noble lineage that this family come from straight away Amru felt he must do something so he traveled to Sham he bought a lot of food he brought it and he began to feed everybody they own camels he began to kick camels and feed everybody this made the people in the land feel this man is doing this not for a gain. He's doing it for a purpose. And that purpose is religious. To please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they felt good about it. His status in the community was risen. And he became very important among his people. And this is Hashim. Okay? But subhanallah, because Allah is testing, okay? Abdul Shams, he had a son. And he named his son Umayyah. And Umayyah realized his uncle Hashim was doing a very good job. And everybody respected him. And everybody wanted to be like him. So he tried to carry the example of his uncle. And he began to feed. He began to invite people, give them homes, allow them to have whatever they want to have. Suddenly, shaitan played with him that he wanted to be better than his uncle. Or he wanted to take the position of his uncle. So he went out to the people and said to them, what do you think? Who is better, myself or my uncle? The people said to him, of course, your uncle. He's the man whom everybody knows. Who doesn't know Amru? He's always feeding, he's always watering, he's always coming to save people, open his house to whomever come to him. You are a young man, you are good, but you will never be like him. While he was hearing this, shaitan inspired him to insult his uncle by words. When the news went to his uncle, he said, well, he's just young and he's trying to build himself a life, I don't mind. He didn't like that, he came to his uncle, he said to his uncle, Shall we go to somebody to judge between us who is better in what we do? His uncle said to him, but it's shameful for me to take my nephew and go and ask somebody to judge who is better. 
in feeding the people. This is something natural. We do not for show, we do to please the Creator. He insisted that they must have this. So his uncle agreed, but with one condition. He said to him, if I agree to go out with you for somebody to judge between us, the one who will lose must kill 40 camels and feed it to the poor people and must leave Mecca and go somewhere else, migrate for another place for 10 years. He felt good. He said to him, well, I will do it. Umayyah said to his uncle, Amru, well, I will do it. Let's go. Subhanallah, when they walked out and they came to see the man who's going to judge between them, it's supposed to be a wise man. The wise man, once he saw them coming through, straight away to him, he says, Sabaga Hashim Umayyah fil mafakhiri. A famous statement, Sabaga Hashim, Okay, Umayyah fil mafakhiri. MashaAllah, Hashim has preceded Umayyah in all that which can be praised. That automatically made the judgment invalid. He judged Hashim to be higher than his nephew. Hashim felt very sad, but he accepted the judgment of his uncle, so he gave the camels to be killed, to fulfill, and he left and he traveled, and for 10 years he was never seen back in Mecca. Okay? What happened then? Hashim traveled and went to Sham, and while he is coming back, because when you are traveling to Sham, where do they go through? They go through Medina, and from Medina they go to Gaza. Subhanallah, look at Gaza today. They go to Gaza. And subhanallah, he died in Gaza. This man, Hashim, is buried in Gaza, where today, tonight, innocent people, you don't know which of them come from that blood, being bombarded. Yeah? And this is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to them. They are always in that position. Okay? So, when he came to Medina, Medina had a market. And in the market, he saw a woman, and he felt she has something special about her. And he wanted to know which family she came from, and go and ask for her hand in marriage. Who asked for that? It's Hashim, the grandfather of Rasulullah sallam. Okay? So, Immediately, he asked, who is this woman? They said, she is Salma bin Ta'amru ibn Zayd. Salma bin Ta'amru ibn Zayd. <coughs> Once he got to know which family, he asked, can he marry her? And why wasn't she married before? The answer that came to him made him feel better that she was waiting for someone because she believed the man who will marry her will be carrying someone who is important. And subhanallah, once he asked, she married him. She got pregnant, okay? And he left to do his business in Gaza. There he died. He asked his companion. While he, when he did the marriage, they say there were 40 men, companion with him, doing the business. They came to the wedding and he invited all the people of Medina. This is a sign for us that when you do a wedding, you're supposed to do as much as you can. In our time now, we're restricted by space and place and this and that. But there, in an open place, they invite everybody. Because you don't know who will bring the blessing to the place. 
and the baraka. Okay, in many countries this is still done. People just come for that baraka. But when he traveled and went to Gaza and he died, before he died, he said to his companions, "Whatever I leave behind, I would like for you to take it back to my son, because he heard his wife gave a birth to a child, okay, whom he named Sheba. And as I said earlier on, Sheba because he had white hair in his head, Sheba. And who is Sheba? Ah, Abdul Muttalib. This is the grandfather of Rasulullah Sallam. Now, Shayba, or Abdul Muttalib, grew up in Medina. He didn't grow up in Mecca as a child. While he was becoming a youth, he was always seen playing with the kids. And one thing he used to love, to shoot arrows. And he would always say to them, look, let us have a competition. Who will shoot the smallest object furthest from us, and who can do it okay, many times to be the winner? And every time they meet, and people come and watch. And every time he shoots, he wins. Not once, not twice, many times. Children will miss, and he will win. Once upon a time, a passer passed by, he was looking at the children while they're okay, having the competition. And he noticed this young boy, he is organizing the competition, he's allowing everybody to have chances okay, to shoot. And then when everybody is done, he will take his arrow and he will shoot and he will hit the target. And once he hit the target, he will scream loudly, Anabni Hashim. I am the son of Hashim. Anabni Zaim al-Arab. I am the son of the leader of the Arabs. How amazing that is. Because his father is dead. And he's just a young man growing with the kids. But within him he felt there is something important because he was carrying somebody important in him. So that what so the old man so that he laughed and went. And he came to Mecca. When he came to Mecca, okay, straight away, he came to the haram and sat down with a man called Muttalib. Muttalib at that time is the person who is responsible in Mecca okay, for the leadership of the tribe. And told him, look, I saw a strange thing in Medina. Young men shooting arrows and one of them was saying such a statement. He said, well, I should not leave him there. I need to bring him back. He's my nephew. He must come back. Okay, so straight away he went to bring him back. When he went, he saw him. He realized in him there is an image of his father. He hugged him. He said, "Do you know who I am? I'm your uncle, and I came to take you back to the land where you are from. You need to come immediately with me." He said, "Uncle, I will not say anything to you." For I am a child who has been brought up to always agree with his elders. However, I need to seek permission from my mother. I wonder whether these things happen to us, we put our mother in the equation. Because mothers are important. I need to ask. Because the mother feels the separation, not the father. The mother feels the separation. So his uncle said to him, let's go to your mother. So he rushed happily in front of him. He greeted the mother, Salma. And said to her, look, I have come to take him back to Mecca. 
where his father's land is. She said, no, you cannot separate me from my son. My son will remain with me. He said, but it is important for him because he has a role to play there. Your son is the son of a leader. He must go back to the land where he come from. She said, okay, if you insist, give me three days to reflect. Three days to reflect. After three days, he came to her. And when she reflected, she felt what the man told her is important because this child come from an important family whereby his father was the leader of the tribe. So he need to go back to where he belonged, not to stay in Medina, to do what? So he came back. When they came back and they were riding, he was riding behind his uncle. Everybody was screaming, MashaAllah, you came back with a slave. Because people used to go travel and buy slaves. And it was important to buy different slaves. European slaves, African slaves, Asian slaves. So he said, look, this is not a slave. This is my nephew. So he went inside his house. He allowed him to have a wash and dressed him in clean new clothes. And he came out. When the people saw him, they saw his father in him. And they said to him, subhanallah, he is an image of his dad. He said, this is why I brought him back. Because... It is important for me to keep him with me. Okay? Now, he traveled, Al-Muttalib, traveled to Yemen in a journey. And while he is there, he died and he was buried there. So Hashim is buried in Gaza and Al-Muttalib is buried in Yemen. What happened then after he died? Okay? The person who took over is Abd Al-Muttalib. The grandfather of Rasulullah Look at him. He was brought as Shayba and he was raised and suddenly he became now the leader. So his uncle knew that this is the destiny of that little boy whom his father saw his mother in the market married her because she saw in him that which is special. And subhanallah he went to Ghazda never back and he died there. Now Abdul Muttalib one day he was asleep he saw in the dream somebody calling him, go and find Zamzam. Go and find Zamzam. He woke up in the morning and he felt, what is this? What is Zamzam? He went again to sleep. This time, okay, the call came to him, go and find Zamzam, but this time he was told where Zamzam is. So straight away, he called his son. And said to him, listen, me and you, we're going to go out and find that place and dig and we will find the buried well of Zamzam. Because I am commanded to do so and it will be better for me and you to go together. Okay? Now, his son, his name is Harith, his son said to him, but dad, me and you might not be able to do it. And when the people heard the discussion, they said, look, if there is water, and that land, you know, it's scarce of water, then we must share. We should all dig together, find the water, and share it. Abdul Muttalib said, no, but it was for me. He went and felt sad because he had only one son. He prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, oh Allah, if you give me ten children, boys, who will grow up to be men, I promise you, I will sacrifice one of them for you. 
I will kill one of them for your sake. And subhanallah, he said to the people then, when they insisted, okay, let's go out and find someone to judge between us. Who have the right to dig for them? them? Myself, Abdul Muttalib, with my son Al-Harith, or you? He found from his family, okay, other 20 men, he took them out, and the other people went out. They came to a place whereby they are waiting to find, because it's all desert. They just sat, their water finished, and there is nothing. The people with him asked him, what are we to do? He replied, death, al-maut. Without water, we're going to die. What is your advice, Ya Abdul Muttalib? My advice to you, each man should dig himself a grave and sit next to it. And when one of us dies, his brothers will bury him. What? So that's the only way. Because if we scatter in the desert, we're all going to die. So we should sit together. And because he's always been a good man, he said, I will go and look for water. But you sit next to your hole, and one of you dies, just bury him in his hole. He went out looking. Look at Allah's way. Subhanallah, suddenly he found a fountain of water, which was Zamzam, coming out. He didn't need to dig. He called them. They came. They couldn't believe their eyes. They drank. They felt good. They felt he was telling them the truth. His dream is right. He's the man of honor. They told him, look, Zamzam is the well Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided you to. Allah guided you to. So you are going to be responsible for Zamzam, not us. And we are going to do anything you tell us and we will be, inshallah, behind you. Okay? Now, in the same time in that year, subhanallah, a man called Abraham, who was one of the leaders of the armies, okay, of the Abyssinians, he was sent with an army to go to Yemen, and he conquered and killed the kings of Yemen, and he stayed there. Many people think that Abraham is a king from Yemen. He's not Yemeni, he's Abyssinian. Abraham suddenly, while he's in Yemen, he saw a lot of the Yemen, the Arabs, were preparing to go for Hajj. He asked them, where are you going? We're going for pilgrimage. What is pilgrimage? We're going to the house of God. What's the house of God? It's a building. What do you do there? We go around it. We pray to God. We give homage. He said, you don't have to go there. I can build you in this land a better and a bigger house. Back home, they built churches. So he built them the best church. He sent back to his home. They brought a huge church. And told them to stay. What you take to give there, give to me here to send back to our king. The Arabs, when they hear this, it's a competition business-wise. They didn't like it. They're going to lose. You see? Can you imagine Abu Jahal and Abu okay, Sufyan sitting in Mecca and their business is taken there? They didn't like it. So one of the Arabs was so angry, he went there and bent it down. When he bent it down, Abraha became so angry. He said, a little house, those Arabs are going to worship. I'm going to leave, I will not leave. I will never rest. He collected an army. He got a huge elephant and said to them, look, we're going to go and destroy this Kaaba or this house and they will come to my, I'll build a better one 
and they have to come to me then. He came, camped outside Mecca with a huge army, a huge elephant and chains. They asked him, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to tie that building with the chains and let the elephant pull it and then we will make sure it is destroyed forever and if anybody resists, the army will fight them. When he camped outside, the very thing he saw, beautiful camels. The Arabs have beautiful horses and camels. He just took them. And he sent an envoy to Mecca to find the leader and tell him. So the envoy came and says, I'm looking for the leader of Mecca. They told him, Abdul Muttalib, are you the leader? He said, yes. He said, our king is calling you. Somebody else came and said, there is a man camping outside Abdul Muttalib who has taken your camels. Abdul Muttalib is supposed to have said to the envoy, it's strange, in our tradition, kings are not thieves. If your leader is a king, how could he have taken my camels? And then he rode and went with him. When he arrived, Abraham said to him, are you the leader of these people? Are you the man in charge of the Kaaba? He said, I'm not in charge of the Kaaba. But I'm in charge of those camel whom you took from me. And kings do not steal. He said, your camel you can take. What about your Kaaba? He said, Kaaba, For the Kaaba there is a Lord that will protect it. Would somebody say this without faith? Think about it. For the Kaaba, there is a Lord who will protect it. And he went and held, okay, on the chain of the door of the Kaaba. And he said, Oh Allah, protect your house. Oh Allah, protect your house three times. And he left. Did Allah accept his prayer or not? I want people to think. How can somebody ask Allah to protect his house and Allah then protect his house? It's for us to reflect upon. And then he asked all the people of Mecca, I said to them, look, listen, we are not in a position to fight an army like the army that is outside camping. We never went out to fight anybody. We fight amongst ourselves. This is bigger than us. My advice to you, he is coming not for us, he is coming for the house. Leave the house, the house Allah will protect, you go to the mountain. He took his family, he took his people, they went to the caves in the mountains and stayed there. And Abraham asked his army to guide the elephant to the Kaaba. When the elephant is directed to the Kaaba, when he comes closer, he kneels. When they direct him away from the Kaaba, he walks. They take him to the other side. The same thing happens. Every direction of the Kaaba, they take the elephant, the Kaaba in front of the elephant, he will just kneel. They beat that elephant. The historians say there is no animal was beaten like that elephant. They beat him. They wanted him to go to the Kaaba to do something. But he refused. And subhanallah, when this was happening, then Abraham told the army to get in. And there were thousands of soldiers. When they began to move towards the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah sent from the heaven birds called Ababil, carrying little stones as big maybe as a mustard seed. 
mean sijil Allah said from the hellfire the bears that were carrying them not of the bears of the earth these are alien bears call them each leg was carrying one okay and in the pickled one in the mouse and they were dropping those little things on the army and the army was running like mad they were frightened in fact the elephant was running over them and stampede over them they were destroyed just like dry hay okay or dry grass Allah revealed the surah surah al-fil a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim bismillahir rahmanir rahim alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi ashabil fil didn't you see what your lord allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done with the owners of the elephant alam yaj'al kaydahum fi tadlil didn't he allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed their plotting and planning وأرسل عليهم طيرا أبابيل he has sent for them طير birds called أبابيل ترميهم بحجارة من سجيل which was shooting down onto them little stone little pebbles from the hellfire فجعلهم كعصف مأكول okay he has destroyed them just like a, a beautiful farm okay yielding its fruits and suddenly the locusts come and eat all of it or the animal just walking to it and eat all of it only the rubbish remains nothing was left of those people i don't think one was saved and the surah is there to remind people of the power of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why i am telling you this this is the time or the year in which the prophet was born sallallahu alaihi wasallam his grandfather abdul muttalib was there and this was happening and his grandfather went and held the kaaba today when i go to the kaaba you are from the land of the kaaba nasr will they allow you to hold they tell you it is bid'ah i go and hold you see nothing wrong because we are only holding on that because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala initiated it but we know the fa'il the doer is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i always tell the brothers The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Zamzam lima shuribat lahu. Zamzam is for whatever you drink it for. If you are ill, Bismillah oh Allah, give me healing with Zamzam, and you drink, Allah will give you healing. If you have an exam, oh Allah, have an exam, make it easy for me. If you want to memorize, whatever, anything. If you have got people who ring you, look, I'm in difficulty. Take Zamzam and read dua and drink it for their sake, and Allah will accept for you. But the essence of the acceptance It's for you to understand. It's not Zamzam that heals you. It's Allah that heals. You say, oh Allah, your Prophet says, Zamzam is for whatever I drink it for. I'm drinking it for you to heal me. For you to pass my exam for me. Or to allow me to pass my exam. For you to make between my friends because they are in troubles. Whatever, anything. Allah does. Not the water. Like, like the medicine, when we take medicine. It's not the medicine. Allah is shafi. Allah is the healer. Okay? So please think of that seriously. Okay? And that will make it easier. Now, Quraysh, the Kaaba, the Kaaba was their responsibility, but Quraysh, okay? As I said, it is many homes. The people of Quraysh were always fighting one another. There is no peace between them. Every time 
you see them, you see them fighting upon something. Children. And this is nature of man. The best thing for us, those who are wise enough, is to try to bring the peace. But always there will be inner fighting between the people. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in the family of Quraysh the love of all the Arabs. The respect of all the Arabs. And because of this reason, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in the Quran, Surah Quraysh. Allah named the surah after them. There is no tribe Allah named the surah after them. Only Quraysh. Tell me, any other surah. Allah honored certain animals, certain insects, certain okay uh, places, and named surahs after them. Certain prophets. But subhanallah, one tribe, and one woman is Maryam. There is only one surah called Maryam for a woman. There is one surah for a, a sex. Allah chose a nisa, not a rijal. No surah called a rijal. A nisa. So the women are honored. Allah gave them a surah. We are not honored with the surah. <laughs> it's reality. Surah al-Nisa, one of the most important surahs in the Quran. You see? So subhanallah, Allah honored Quraysh. And he said, لِإِلَافِ Quraysh, إِلَافِهِمْ رِحْلَةَ الشِّتَاءِ وَالصَّيْفِ they established the journey of the north and the journey of the south. Why? Because when it is hot in Mecca, okay, they go to the north. When it is cool, okay, they go to the south. That's the journey. And in that, they used to do business as well. So there is something beautiful in that surah. But then Allah directed them, فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْدِ They should worship the Lord of this house. Quraysh should always worship the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do the tawaf, look after the hujjaj, do the beauty of bringing people together. Anybody who goes to hajj or umrah will find himself in a what, fantastic position. And they come back, mashallah, radiating with joy and goodness. Only those who did not really perform hajj. They come angry because they didn't have the meal they ordered. Or stayed in the hotel that they paid for. Okay? But really, people who went for Hajj, they come back so joyful, so happy. Good stories to tell the people they met. Okay? And that's something important to think about. So, this tribe, Quraysh, Allah has honored them, okay? Because of what they have done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abdul Muttalib remembered, suddenly, when all his children are born, and they became men. His oldest son, Al-Harith, is there. His youngest is Abdullah, the father of the Prophet He remembered that now I have to fulfill my promise. Whom did he promise? Shaitan? Whom did he promise? Himself? He promised Allah. And this is called Nadr. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran said, you must fulfill your promise to me. You must fulfill, we call it nether. And this is something that anybody who's sitting here, you can learn. If suddenly you are in a dilemma, if suddenly you are in a difficulty, if suddenly you find yourself facing a problem, make nether. Make nether. Make a promise to Allah. How do you do it? We follow the Prophet. Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab says, Ma hammana amrun. Whenever we are confronted with a problem, 
a dilemma, a difficulty. Illa Only we made wudu and then prayed two rak'ahs. He always وسلم, prayed al-fatiha in the first rak'ah with al-kafirun. In the second rak'ah al-fatiha with surah al-ikhlas. When he finishes his salah, he will seek forgiveness and he will praise Allah and then ask. But if you do this in your sujood, it will be better. In the last sujood, before you sit to do at tahiyyatu lillah, after you glorify Allah, seek his forgiveness, praise him, and make salawat for Muhammad And then, <coughs> promise Allah, Oh Allah, I promise you, if you fulfill this for me, what I am asking, I will do this for your sake. Don't go and promise him you are going to slaughter one of your children. <laughs> Don't do that like Abdullah Abdul Muttalib did, but you don't do that. You promise him you're going to feed a hundred poor people, you're going to dig a well for people in a land where there is no water, you're going to build a hospital, you're going to build a school. Do a promise. But don't be greedy and you are a millionaire and promise to spend a hundred pounds. Do it according to, do it from your heart. Do you understand? If suddenly you want to the doctor, the doctor said you have cancer, you're going to die in six months, and you want Allah to take it away. Say, oh Allah, I promise you, I will do this if you take this away from me and give me my life, and I will be obedient to you. But don't, don't say something is small. Your life, how much your life is worth? If you are a millionaire, say, I'll give all my money. Allah then will, will test you. Allah will give you your health back. He will see whether you give it or not. Okay, so make a promise, make a pledge. Abdul Muttalib, because he wanted to fulfill his promise to Allah, he called all his sons. Oh, my sons, you know, I have promised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that once you grew up and I see you as men, one of you I will slaughter. But I don't know which of you. I would like each one of you to go and get himself okay, a piece of wood, a little plank, and write your name on it and bring them to me. There is a man called Kahin or Arraf, a fortune teller. They go to, the Arabs used to go to those people and he will tell them. So, Abdul Muttalib gave him okay, all the names and he will pick one of the names. Who is going to be slaughtered? When they did it, it fell in Abdullah. Again, it was done, it's Abdullah. A third time is Abdullah. So he said, I'm going to slaughter him. The people said, this is sad. How could you slaughter your son? It's not appropriate in an age whereby you can do something else. He said, no, I will slaughter him. I promised Allah. He went to sleep. He woke up. He saw himself slaughtering him. He went and got his knife and saw his son sleeping. He was about to slaughter him. The people are crowded. Said, no, you cannot do that. Go and ask, okay? Arrahiba. There was another woman who used to do fortune telling. He went to her. He asked her, What shall I do? She said to him, If someone killed, okay, somebody, what do you do in order to free that person? We will ask him to pay 10 camels. If he can give 10 camels, then he can go free. He said, Okay. You should. Put ten camels, okay, and put your son in the side. Go to the kahin, to the fortune teller, and let him pick 
If it falls in your sun, then add extra 10 and do it again. If it falls in your sun, add an extra 10 and so on. Until it falls on the camels and then kill the camels on bear. He agreed. He went to the kahin. He said, look, do it between my son and 10 camels I will give. It fell in Abdullah. He put 10, became 20. Until they became 100. When it became 100 camels against his son, it fell on the camels. He was not sure. He said, do it again. It fell on the camels. Do it again. It fell on the camel. He was not sure. He killed. They say there was no time a lot of meat was killed like that. 100 camels were killed. Animals, birds, people were eating. Okay? For weeks to come. And for that reason, subhanallah, Abdullah was saved. And because of this, everybody was looking for Abdullah. He wanted to know what is special about this young man. There was a lady who was always looking for him and thinking of him. And she wanted to be linked to him. Okay? And be married to him. Why? Because he had a handsome face, beautiful face, but the most important thing, everyone used to see a light coming out of his forehead. And we know what that light is. Okay? They said, Hada Nurun Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay? Every woman in Quraysh wanted to marry him. But there is a lady from a tribe called Khadam. She used to meet him and ask him, Oh Abdullah, I would marry you. Would you marry me? He said to her, No. I'm sorry. Again she will meet him. Oh Abdullah, would you marry me? No, I'm sorry. When she met him one time, she said, Abdullah, look, I really want to marry you. I will give you a hundred camels. Imagine you young men, that the lady want to marry you. I said to you, look, I will give you a hundred thousand pounds, marry me. Many of you will run to marry her. Hundred thousand pounds? Allahu Akbar. <laughs> Abdullah said, no, I'm not marrying you. She was shocked. Because already in his mind, Allah had inspired him to marry the woman who will carry the light in him. Just like his grandfather before him. And the woman he used to see, and he used to think she is the right woman, is Amina bint Wahab. The mother of Muhammad sallallahu So he went to his dad and said to him, I want to marry Amina. His father said, what a wonderful news I'm hearing. He knew. So they went to her father, Wahab. They sat with him, and they broke the news. He asked her. She said, of course. Who would not like to marry Muhammad? He's the right man. He married her. The Arabs have a tradition. They had a honeymoon. Their honeymoon is three days. Today, people do honeymoons two weeks, a month. Okay. <laughs> But their honeymoon was three days. Once you get married to a woman, you stay with her for three days. Okay? So subhanAllah, he stayed with her for three days. But the second day, for a sign Allah wanted to show us, he had to go out and come back. When he went out, suddenly he met that woman who wanted to marry him. She didn't ask him. So he was surprised. Every time he met her, she said, would you marry me? So he came back to her. He didn't ask me to marry you. He said to him, what have you been doing since I met you last time? Didn't you hear? I got married. To whom? To Amina bin Tuhab. 
She said, oh, that's it. So why did you ask me to marry you? She said, well, I wanted to marry you for one reason. Wherever I used to see you, I used to see you with a light on your forehead. I wanted to marry you for that light, but the light has gone, so I don't want to marry you anymore. Allahu <laughs> Akbar. Okay? And for that reason, Amina was the luckiest woman. Abdullahi stayed with her for less than a month, and then he had to travel to Sham to do his business. And while he was in Gaza, he became very sick. So they brought him back to Medina. And Medina, remember, is a place where his uncles are there from his mother's side. So subhanallah, he stayed there. The caravan came back to Mecca. Abdul Muttalib came out asking, where is my son Abdullah? His wife, Amina, came out. Where is it? She's pregnant already. She was five months pregnant. Where is my husband? He's sick. So immediately Abdul Muttalib sent one of his son to go and bring him back. He said, no, no, don't leave him there. He cannot stay. Okay? There. Bring him back to Mecca. I would like to have him with me. Okay? Subhanallah. When Al-Harith went to Medina, already Abdullah has died. Okay? Already he has died. So he came back. When he came back, his father asked him, what happened, Ya Harith? He said that, he has passed away. There is nobody who has felt so sad at that time than Amina. Not just because of herself and condition that she's in, she's pregnant and going to be a single woman, but she was so frightened for the baby she was carrying because in her time, it was shameful for a young man or a woman to be born and they are orphans. That's why the Quran says, Indeed, the orphan you should never oppress or look down at or demean or insult. In fact, it's a pleasure to find an orphan and you can wipe your hand over their head. For every hair you will touch, Allah will write 10 good deeds in your book. For every hair you will touch that will bring peace to the heart of that child, Allah will put peace in your heart. And Allah will heal you and make it easy for you. So, that's where I'm going to stop. Okay? Amina felt sad, but yet she was happy because she was carrying the greatest man ever to be born, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam. Next week when we meet, we're going to talk about the birth of Muhammad Sallam and the sign of the birth of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam and what happened in the heavens, on the earth and by Allah Almighty God there was no human who was born and there were signs like this to be seen and known by everybody, Muslim and non-Muslims human and non-humans Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam was the greatest man ever to be born to live on this earth, no man like him but his lineage and I would like you to take this, those who came late and they didn't have one, take one. There are some of them here. Okay? This is the line of the family of Muhammad Sallam from his mother and his father. Please, try to memorize those names. Okay? Try to know who this prophet is. Try to learn, okay, about some of those. Especially the earlier grandfathers. Okay? From Hashim down, it is easier. There's a lot of history written and you can get to know about them. And I tell you, by Allah Almighty God, whenever I feel sad in myself for something, and I go to my room, I pray to Raga'at, and I read the names, Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim, 
Okay? Ibn Abd Munaf, Ibn Qusay, Ibn Kalab, and I carry on reading it. When I come to Adnan, I feel the sadness is gone. They say this is the golden chain of a family that is born, okay, in the righteous way Allah has ordained man should be born. None of us can say about himself this. But this is very, very important. The only thing I will say, for us today who are here, we should make sure that us or our children will always marry in the right way. We should never allow our families, our loved ones, to have children without marriage. Because if that happens, then there is something not accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam, when he was in the prison, he told the prisoners, I come from a chain of people who are pure, who are righteous and who believe in God. A chain of people who are pure. First he put purity, pure. Sayyidina Muhammad sallam come from a chain that is pure. His fathers are all came through marriage. None of his fathers was born out of wedlock. None of them. And nobody can prove that. And therefore, we need to be very careful. Another thing you need to think about, what I said earlier on, never indulge and sit and talk about the parents of Rasulullah Whether they are believers or not, whether they are going to hell or not, because none of our business. And if his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, okay, could hold a Kaaba door and ask Allah to save it and Allah save it, only Allah knows his position with him. This is the chain Allah has given a great height. Allah has given a great position because of the light. And one thing I leave you with, if Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is going to be fighting in the day of judgment to save his ummah, even those who have got a fraction of an atom weight in their heart of iman and salvage them from the hellfire. An atom weight. And the last one of them whom Allah will save from the hellfire will be given a paradise ten times as big as this earth. Don't you think those whom he loved will be included? Think about it. Is he going to deny them? And by the way, his ummah is not only those who say La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah Because otherwise, all those who are living now were not from his ummah. Any human being from the day Rasulullah Allah commanded him and said to him Fasda bima tu'mar Go out and deliver what you have been commanded from that day till Qiyamah, every human being living today is his Ummah. Everybody. 72 groups of them will be in error. One group will be in the righteous path. And this one group is the people of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Not like some brothers going out and saying, okay, the 73 groups are the Muslims themselves divided. The Salafis, the Sufis, the... no, no, no. Astaghfirullah al-Azim. It's not that. Okay? All those who say La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah Al-Firga Najiya. This is my belief. We are all, anybody who says La ilaha Muhammadur Rasulullah, we're going to go to heaven. That's the. Listen carefully. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man qala La ilaha illallah, dakhal al-Jannah. Man qala La ilaha illallah, whosoever says La ilaha illallah will enter paradise. A man, a good sheikh in Sudan. His name is Yusuf, Sheikh Yusuf. Tall man. Very funny. Very, very spiritual. He died in the 70s. And he is very, very spiritual. He talked about things that will make you become old. And because he does hadra and dhikr 
and think people learn that oh they think this is bid'ah. One day a young man came to me and said to him, Sheikh, what is this bid'ah you do? This is all wrong. Sheikh said to him, Are you saying that we have left the past? He said, Of course you have left the past. He said to him, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Am I in the past? He said, Now you are in the past. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, my son. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for coming and saving me. <laughs> People don't understand. Whosoever says La ilaha illallah will enter for Allah. Who said it? Muhammad sallam. Let us love him. But we can never love him without knowing him. And we can never know him without okay, learning about him. He was sent to teach. I was only sent as a teacher. To teach us what? To teach us about knowing about ourselves. So that we can get to know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're going to read the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the names of the Prophet and then inshallah we will make a little bit of zikr.